0: you. Well, as always, it's such a, a privilege um, and a joy to share with my friends. Um, I often find in this, in the last couple of weeks what I've been feeling in my heart is uh, preaching in 24-7 feels a lot more like sharing with your friends and family. And I think the Lord's teaching us what preaching the gospel means again, which is actually going out and preaching the gospel to unbelievers. And so when we come to a place like this, I don't feel like I'm here to, you know. And put you up and get you all pumped up. You should have a relationship with Jesus that does that to some extent anyway. But what I do want to do is I want to edify you. I want to equip you. I want to encourage you. I want to stir you up to go after the things that the Lord has called us to as a people. Um, and just quickly before we, we get into the word, I didn't even know that you were going to say anything about Zimbabwe, but throughout the whole of worship, the Zimbabwean flag was just flashing through just my vision. Uh, and I just began to pray. And it's a very strange thing. It was a supernatural uh, year when we were in Zimbabwe. I was about eight or nine years old. But if you take me to Bulawayo, I'll take you everywhere that we went. It's phenomenal how I, can, I remember the place. I know I remember the faces of the people. Uh, it was such a, a wild year for us as a family. And I always tell my friends, I remember driving there. We had sold our house, packed everything up, and we were in a little, I think it was a polo classic, a green polo classic. And uh, with this trailer packed with about two weeks of clothes, that's all we had, and we're driving off to Zim, and we crossed the border. It was really hectic at the border. We get across, we're driving now through this kind of like bush area, and we're coming towards Bulawayo. And um, I remember myself and Courtney, Courtney must have been about three or four, four, uh, and she was. Uh, we were sitting together in the back probably playing. And, but I remember my mom turning around, and she looked at me, and she said, are you ready for an adventure with Jesus? And it was such a surreal feeling as a kid not knowing where we were going, where we were going to stay, what was happening. Uh, all I knew was my parents said, Jesus told us to go to Bulawayo, and, and we had sold everything that we knew and that's where we were going. And it was wild. Um, and, you know, as a family, we, I think a lot of people get quite frustrated because we, we talk about that year a lot. <laughs> because, uh, you know, and people I've heard this story like seven times, but I have to tell you again because it's just, it's so real and exciting and amazing. But, but what I'm so stirred by is that what we experienced for that year is actually what God's called Christians to walk in. It's that kind of obedience, it's that kind of faith, it's that kind of community, it's that kind of mindset and mentality about advance, about take ground for the kingdom. Um, and uh, I really feel exactly what my dad was just sharing, uh, is that for for my mom and dad as, as fathers uh, over that church, I really believe there's going to be a restoration of, um, of relationship. Um, but... More than that, I, I feel like there's an inheritance in Zimbabwe that was robbed from us as a family. Um, we used to always talk about how, hey, God just took us there for a year because he needed us to transition to church. And uh, I don't know why, but this morning I felt like that's part of it. But there was more for us there. And there still is more for us. Uh, and the beautiful thing is now we're a part of a family and a community, which means it's your inheritance too. And so my encouragement to you is to start to pray into these nations that the Lord is highlighting, into the opportunities that he's opening for us, Um, which leads me to to share what I feel in my heart. um, And I want to talk about being a missional people. And uh, if you haven't listened to Krista's message from last week, you need to go and listen to it again and again and again. Uh, Because what she did was she positioned the community prophetically, those who would respond to that message. You'll find your heart is positioned to respond to the call and the commission of God on your life. Uh, and she, she started with Isaiah 6, and I want to kind of very quickly mention three things that happens there uh, in Isaiah 6 that's going to set us up for what we're going to talk about. If you read through Isaiah 6, there's three things that happens to Isaiah. Number one, the Lord shifts his perspective. What I mean by that is Isaiah is taken into an encounter where he sees the Lord for who he is, and I'm just kind of repeating a bit of what Krista was sharing. He sees the Lord for who he is. He has an encounter with his holiness, his majesty, his splendor. And what, what happens is the moment that his perspective changes and he's now beholding the Lord, his position changes. And so suddenly for the first time, you see Isaiah in this place of woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He's realizing his need for a savior. He's realizing, whoa, there is a huge disconnect between the beauty and majesty and holiness of God and where I am in my own efforts and and who I am as a man. And so he recognizes and his position shifts to this place of desperate need for intervention where he acknowledges and recognizes oh my word, he's so beautiful. He's so worthy. I have nothing to give him. I have nothing to offer this beautiful, perfect, holy God. And so he finds himself there. And the next thing, the seraphim picks up a burning coal from the altar, which is a representation of what Jesus did. It's a picture of Jesus. And this, he picks up this coal and he comes down to meet Isaiah. And he touches his lips with this burning coal and tells him that you're forgiven, you're clean, your guilt and your shame has been taken away. Once again, his position has changed in God. God has now positioned him for everything that God's called him to do. So now, Isaiah, for the first time, is standing in this place before God where he's no longer separated by the things that are obstacles, by sin and by guilt and shame and condemnation. Now, he's been cleansed. He's been touched by the burning coal. And what happens is he's come into agreement, which is what Crystal was sharing. He's come into agreement with God, not because he did anything. God took this burning coal, touched his lips, and he's positioned in agreement with God, with Jesus, with the finished work of Jesus, way before its time. He enters into a covenant that is way before, right? And then what's so beautiful is for the first time it says, then Isaiah heard the voice of God. And what did the voice of God say? The first thing God says to Isaiah in his new position and identity is, who, whom shall I send who will go for us? The first thing God does for Isaiah is commission him. And I was just so encouraged by this and stirred because it's like sometimes the mentality is I've got to, you know, come in and get, you know, this long two, three years of training. I have a friend who's a pastor in a Methodist church, and he has to go through nine years before he can even pastor a church or do anything. You know, there's an intense process. Nothing against that. I believe in process. But sometimes we have this picture that I'm not not there. I'm not in that place to be commissioned by God. There's certain things that have to happen. I need to be this kind of person in order to be commissioned and called by God. But actually, when you read Isaiah 6, it's very simple. One, God wants to change your perspective. He wants to draw you and invite you into encounter where you behold the face of God. Intimacy. When He, when he can change your perspective, He will change your position. You'll be touched by the life of Jesus. You'll be touched by the finished work of the cross, which will cleanse you and, and, and bring you into agreement, reconciliation with God, so that you can partner with Him. Agreement with Jesus equals partnership with God. So God positions you in this place, and then the first thing that He wants to do in your life is commission you to go. And I, I love when I read Isaiah, you know, here I am, send me. I don't, I don't see Isaiah going, you know, here I am, send me. I, I see him freaking out going, for the first time ever, I can partner with God. Here I am, send me. I'm, I, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm excited. I want to go. I want to do that. Why? Because for the first time, I'm in agreement with Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that he's brought you into agreement, reconciliation with God. You didn't do anything. You've been touched by the finished work of Jesus. And so when you find yourself in that place, it is natural for you to now be commissioned and called to say, yes, Lord, here I am. And then you go, and in the going, God puts a word in your mouth. And so it's when Isaiah says, yes, I'm going to go. And as he goes, the Lord says, now say this. And what I felt, um, I've got about 11 scriptures, but we won't get through all of them, but we'll see. Um, what I really felt today, we've been talking throughout from the prayer meeting until now, we've been talking about putting Jesus first, the preeminence of Jesus in our lives, right? And um, I, I just kind of felt challenged in my heart because I really believe that there is, there's been a disconnect uh, in Christians, a lot of Christians' lives between gathered environments and personal life and journey with the Lord. So, what what has happened in the past is you come to a meeting like this, and the presence of the Lord is here because He loves His bride. And so he's moving and the music is incredible and the anointings on the music, the anointings on the speakers, the anointings on each other and we bless each other. And so what happens is we find that we feel most open and able to experience and encounter God in a gathered environment more so than we do in our personal lives. The problem with that is what it does is it causes a person to seek gathered environments more than they seek personal relationship and intimacy with Jesus in their everyday life. Some of you didn't hear what I just said. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my heart and soul today, but I want you to give me your ears and your heart to hear what the Lord wants to say. Um, I've spent time praying, and I believe that the Lord wants to touch your hearts, and so there's a reverence around the Word of God. So I just want to ask you to listen. So we get used to these gathered environments. We get used to these times of amazing corporate glory and encounter. And so what we do is we end up running to gathered environments more than seeking a daily, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. But here's the problem, is that things around us in the world are getting more and more intense. It's getting really hectic out there. I don't know how many of you can feel it, but you put your flag in the ground for Jesus, and you stand up for him, and suddenly you get slapped around a bit by life. Right? Here's what I want to encourage you with. This book is full of that. Like, Jesus never invited us into this perfect life that everything around you is just amazing. and It just gets better and better. Actually, you might find yourself in prison and stoned and whipped and beaten. And one day you'll have abundance and the next day you might have lack. And and the the stuff around you changes all the time. But it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the, the biggest need right now in the believers is Christ in us and what that means for our everyday life. And so here's what happens is now when things get difficult, believers begin to look for gathered environments. And then when we talk about uh, putting Jesus first, in our head what that means is attend more gathered environments. We need more gathered environments. I need more sessions to get wrecked in. Right? When actually the invitation from the Lord is come into encounter with me come into encounter with me, come into a place of belonging in the presence of God, in the glory of God, where every moment of every day there is nothing standing between you and him that you can walk in divine union, communion, fellowship, oneness with the Holy Spirit every single day. Because then what happens is the purpose of a gathered environment changes. Because now you don't come to a gathered environment to get filled, you're already full. So what happens is it shifts from a well that we want to drink from to actually becoming this incredible river that's beginning to flow into spheres of influence, into the nations. We become a war room for the kingdom. We become the ecclesia, which is the council of God on the earth. The church is called to be God's heavenly government on the earth. The problem is we've spent so much time needing to get something from a gathered environment because we don't know how to live a daily Christian life. And so we come to these environments to deal with the stuff that's in our hearts and to ask God, and, and He loves you so much that He'll meet you every time. Every time. You know, God is so beautiful. He, 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 he knows what your purpose and what your design is, but He loves you more than your purpose. And so He'll meet you, and you come, and He'll meet you, and He'll fill you, and He'll touch you. But what He is doing is He's inviting you and drawing you to the Christian life, to life in Christ, Okay. And so I want to shift this little perspective here with Isaiah 6. It is impossible to be a person of encounter and not be missional. It's impossible to be a person of encounter, a person of revelation and visions and all these crazy things, but not be missional in your purpose and in your design. It's impossible. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus gave the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. He said that you'd be endued with power from on high so that you could be witnesses. So so Holy Spirit wants to have friendship with you and fellowship with you and communion with you so that he can form the likeness of Jesus Christ in your life. But the power of the Holy Spirit on your life is so that you can be a witness. And so what often happens again in this context of gathered environments is again and again and again, we keep coming and asking for more fire, more fire, more fire, more fire. fire. We need your power. We need your glory. We need you. Please, God, come, 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 come. And God's going, wow, man, I came 2,000 years ago. (laughs) like, Just think about how scary that, 2,000 years ago I came, and you're still asking me to come. And I believe in an increase in the manifestation of the fire of God, so don't get me wrong. But what we're crying out for, God's already given to us, but what He's asking us to do is to take that and serve the purpose of why He gave it. Which is, you're going to see the fruit of the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit in your life when you go. Not when you gather, when you go. Just so you know, if you really think about it, we already have wild, powerful, swirly times when we gather. Like we're as close to heaven. Sometimes in, in worship, I feel like I'm about to be snatched out of my body, and I'm, gonna, I'm gone. Cheers, everybody. I'm going to go be with Jesus. We're there. So we're keep, we keep asking for this increase, increase, increase in the gathered environment, and God's saying, I'm just looking for some increase, increase, increase in going. Makes sense, Right? So there's some challenges. Let's go to Philippians chapter, let's go to chapter 1 from verse 21. Amazing what Paul says here. He says, for me to live is Christ. Amplified says he is my source of joy, my reason to live. And to die is gain, for I will be with him in eternity. If, however, it is to be life here and I am to go on living, this will mean useful and productive service for me. So I do not know which to choose if I'm given that choice, but I'm hard-pressed between the two. I have the desire to leave this world and be with Christ, for that is far, far better. Yet to remain in my body is more necessary and essential for your sake. Since I'm convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that your rejoicing for me may overflow in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Pause. Whoa. Like, take that scripture and just read that a few times over and over and over again. It just begins to soak in. And you go, here's this man who has encountered Jesus. His life has been transformed. He has given his life to Jesus. Given. Not his life anymore it's Christ's life. And here he's saying is for me to live is Christ, to die as gain. So he's saying death, I'm not afraid of death, it's gain for me. Why? Because I'm going to be face to face with the one that I gave my life to. I live for that. So my highest call in life is to know Jesus, to minister to his heart. Death is not a scary thing for me. Death is the beginning of everything, right? But he says for let me just read it yet. Uh, If, however, it is to be life here and I am to go on living, this will mean useful and productive service for me. And he goes on to explain that if he's going to hang around here in the flesh and carry on living here, it's for your sake, not his, because death is gain for him. See, I don't know, but I read this, and this is a different perspective on living. This is a different way of living. This is another thinking process, the, his purpose, his reason for waking up every day. This is a different man to just a normal everyday person who's trying to survive. Are you you hearing what I'm saying? Then he goes on in verse 27. He says, "...only be sure to lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I do come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, one purpose, with one mind, striving side by side as if in combat for the faith of the gospel." I don't know if you're picking up the language here, but the language is super missional, super intentional around, we're here for a purpose, one mind, one purpose, one task, one faith, This will be, we're here to do one thing, we're very focused, and he even talks about it, that we would be in one mind striving side by side as if in combat for the faith of the gospel, this is a really missional, militant kind of picture here, right? Then jump down to uh, chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement and comfort in Christ, as there certainly is an abundance, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship that we share in the Spirit, if there is any great depth of affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love toward one another, knit together in Spirit, intent on one purpose, and then I just love the Amplified that adds this, and living a life that reflects your faith and spreads the gospel. That line just gripped me as I read this because I thought, man, because what he says next, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with an attitude of humility, regard others as more important than yourselves. So now that scripture, you put that into the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about living a life that reflects your faith and is, is all about sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel. So to to live the Christian life literally means two things. Number one, that the nature of Jesus Christ would be formed in you through personal relationship with him, through the Holy Spirit. Right? We understand that. Every day, walking with Jesus, becoming like him. That's step one. And step two is that we would spread the gospel everywhere that we go. And that's the Christian life. And the church is called to be an embodiment of that. Not just one or two individuals, but a whole movement. The church is a movement. It is the movement of God on the earth. If God moves, he moves through the church. And so we've got to understand that, that actually we need to allow him to change our perspective, to be repositioned in Christ, and then to respond to the commission and the call that he is calling the church to. He's he's commissioning, he's calling, he's drawing, he's, he's asking the church to rise up and to say, here I am, Send me. Where, Lord? It doesn't matter. He's going to send every single one of you to a specific place. It could be 20 meters down the road. It could be on the other side of the planet. It's everywhere because the point is God is moving on the earth, but he's going to move through the ecclesia. He's going to move through his bride, his body. So what he needs is a people that, number one, know how to encounter God, know how to put Jesus first in their life, not on the Sunday morning, but in their life every day. And then that same people know that because I behold Jesus, I behold the face of God, guess what I'm becoming like? I'm becoming like Jesus, which leads me to my next scripture. Jump to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is the prototype of the Christian life. Jesus lived a life on the earth, not just so that, uh, you know, he could come and save us from sin and whatever. and, And we could go, wow, look at how amazing Jesus was as a man. He was super cool. We're not that so you know, thank God he saved us. No, Jesus came and lived on the earth to become a prototype of what you are called and designed to live in. The scary thing is when you read the gospels and you study his life, his life is so upstream, abstract, and the opposite of society in that time. And it's the same thing today. The biggest struggle for Christians is that we want to live a Christ-centered life while still looking like everybody else. And we're afraid when we get squeezed and things begin to change and suddenly the expectations that are on a normal unbeliever that's just, you know, living to survive, when those expectations that are on them come on us, we want to meet those expectations instead of expecting to be different and trusting for a way that is not according to man but according to God, trusting for provision that way, trusting for uh, wisdom, trusting for uh, how to make decisions and, and, and what decisions to make and we live in another way, right? But the problem is so often we let the same expectations that are on worldly, carnal, unbelieving people, we let those expect, expectations shift and, and, and dictate how we are going to live our lives. And so now Christians are squeezed and scared and in fear and disappointed and hopeless and because those expectations that are on people, well, I'm not meeting those expectations or things have shifted and changed in my life. I don't actually look successful or like I've got it all together or whatever according to this expectation, but according to what Jesus lived, when I look at his life, it's phenomenal because he broke the rules all the time. Oh, you need to pay taxes. Just go open that fish's mouth and take it out of the fish's mouth and go pay my taxes and your taxes. Now you see we read that and go, Wow, Jesus is awesome. I'm starting to read that and go, Wait, I can do that. Do you see the difference? We need to look at the life of Jesus and say this was a life, a prototype of the Christian life. This was Jesus living something as a man to say, Do you see what's possible when you live in the spirit? See, to live in the Spirit doesn't mean every now and then in the day you go, Oh, Holy Spirit, I love you. Thank you. He loves that. That's beautiful. But that's not what it means to live in the Spirit. What it means to live in the Spirit is that you are a brand new person repositioned in a different way of living. It means you think differently. It means you make decisions differently. It means you're, you're, the things that, that used to shake you don't shake you anymore because you're, you've already been shaken by the kingdom. You've already been shaken by the gospel. All Old things have passed away. New things have come. Whatever there was left to be shaken, it was shaken at the cross. And so now you're a brand new person in Him. So, Luke 4. It's incredible if you read... uh, From Luke 4, verse 14, it talks about how Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire region. He began to teach in the synagogues, was praised, glorified, honored by all. Then he walks into his hometown, Nazareth. I love this. Jesus is just, he's got so much guts and passion and fire. He walks into his hometown, walks into the the synagogue on the Sabbath, takes out the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads... Um, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So Jesus comes and he reads this thing. And what he's doing is he's putting down exactly what he's going to do. He's making it aware to everybody why he's came, why, why, why I lived in Nazareth for all those years and, and lived this perfect, blameless, holy life. He goes back to the place of his childhood and he, he puts down destiny. And he says, this is why I've come. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm going to do. All right. And so when I read that, what I'm seeing is Jesus is putting down the mission statement of every believer that will come into his life. Do you hear what I'm saying? So he's reading this out, not just that, hey, I'm Jesus and I'm going to do this so that other people can have a great time. No, I'm doing this so that when people, after I've died and raised for them, when they come into my life, when their life is gone and they come into the life of Christ, this is their mission statement. This is what they're about. This is what they're going to be doing everywhere that they go. Right? What's amazing, though, is if you just go back a little bit, it's the same Holy Spirit that He's walking in this power of. In uh, in John chapter three verse 22 or 21, it says, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the visible heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, my beloved. In you, I am well pleased and delighted. Just a quick picture there, position. Jesus hasn't done any miracles, hasn't done anything, but suddenly he's positioned by God. Then if you jump to the beginning of uh, chapter 4. Now Jesus, full of an imperfect communication with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The same Holy Spirit that has filled him with power to do what we saw, the, um, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he's anointed me, all of that. That same Spirit was the one who led him into the wilderness for 40 days. And three things happen in the wilderness, and it's incredible. Um, the devil tempts him in three different things, but his, I'm more interested in his responses than I am in the temptations. I love that the first one is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay. The second one is he says, uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Right. And then the third one is, you shall not tempt the Lord your God to prove himself to you. Now, I listen to those three things, and it's so incredible. It's a rich passage of scripture. I'd encourage you to study it. But those three things speak of somebody that isn't normal. So, so the things, the devil is tempting him on a natural level, and Jesus is responding on a spiritual level every time. And he's saying, I don't live by bread alone. I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he's saying is, there's another picture of Isaiah, every word that comes that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, what do you have to be beholding? What, do you have, where do you, what environment do you have to be in to hear what's coming from his mouth? Encounter so Jesus is saying, first and foremost, dude, I'm not just a person of natural bread, yeah? I'm a person of encounter. I live off of the very voice of God. I live from a whole different realm, different perspective. That's where he starts out. And then Satan wants to throw at him, um, he throws at him kingdoms, and, and uh, the way, the Amplified Words, that it says, then Jesus... Then he led Jesus up to a high mountain and displayed before him all the kingdoms of the earth and their magnificence and the twinkling of an eye. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this realm and its glory, its power, its renown, because it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it'll all be yours. And this is where Jesus says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's so incredible. Jesus is on the earth, and he has absolutely no care or worry or concern about status, about wealth, about titles or kingdoms or uh, anything like that. Jesus, he's concerned with two things. Who do I worship? Who do I serve? How simple is this? He's just explained, buddy, I'm a person of encounter. I live off the voice of God. Number two, I, I worship him, and I serve him. That's my life right there. And then number three, because of those two things, he's saying, you shall not tempt the Lord your God to prove himself to you. There's nothing to prove. It's done. Do you see how Jesus is living? See, a lot of us would go like, you know, uh, when he says, throw yourself off of the temple and the angels will catch you and he even throws scripture and whatever. A lot of Christians live our lives like this. We live our lives from a place of like, sheesh, I don't really know what to do here, so I'm gonna take faith, plug it in, and let's just fall in and hope that God comes through for me. And then we call that faith, right? It's not faith. See, Jesus is modeling something here of a person who has now come into another way of living, another way of existing, another way of going about life. Number one, that I'm living from every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm a person of encounter. Number two, I know who I worship and I know who I serve. I'm all about bringing glory to the Father and I know that I'm here on the earth to serve him. And because of that, I don't need to tempt him to prove himself to me, I know who he is. You see, that person, you can't shake that person. You can take everything away from that person and they will still thrive on the earth. Are you, okay. Um there's so many scriptures. In John 4, 34, it's amazing where uh, Jesus says, I have bread that you do not know of, or food that you do not know of. And the disciples are looking at each other like, did somebody come in and give this guy bread? Because we went to get the bread. What's happening? It's just, I love this. I love how Jesus handles these guys, because I'm just picturing real life. Like, I probably would have done the same thing. You know, Jesus is standing there. I'm like, hey, you hungry? Should you get some bread? No, I've got food that you do not know of. And it's like, but you just sent, we just went to get bread. And how did this, it would be a strange situation. And then he goes on to say, my food, is to do the will of the one who sent me. Whoa, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. What he's saying is, I am sustained by the will of God for my life. I am sustained by my purpose, my existence, my reason for being here on the earth. That is why I'm here. I don't need bread, I need him. Um, Very quickly, let's go to to Matthew chapter 5. There's so many scriptures here, but I'll put them in the notes that we work through in uh, Houses of Acts. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is just a little sneak peek of probably what my mom will do next week. Um, But it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, and the Amplified says purpose, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people. You are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm trying to set us up here about what it means to be missional. Because number one, what we need to be is a people that are inside the life of Jesus. See, oneness with Jesus is not just that he came and made his home inside of me, but actually I have now also made my home inside of him. So do you see this beautiful marriage? He has made his home inside of me. He acted first. He reconciled me to God. He healed me. He forgave me. He divinely enabled me and equipped me. But beyond that, because of that, I have responded and I have chosen to make my home inside of Christ. So now everything that he is is who I am. Am I saying that I am Jesus Christ? No, I'm saying I'm a son of God, that I am walking in the prototype of heaven. I am walking in the life that Jesus paid for, that he made available for every single believer. And what's so incredible about that is it's two things, a life of encounter and a life of mission. And the church is a movement of the mission of God. It is, believe me. And so, jump real quick to Acts chapter one. There's a lot of scriptures, sorry. I shouldn't actually apologize for that, that's a good thing. (laughs) Um, So basically in Acts chapter one, uh, it says in, in verse three at the end, it talks about how Jesus was appearing to them over a period of 40 days and talking to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. Wow, interesting. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he meets with his disciples for 40 days and he's not giving them the blueprint on how you're gonna run my institutional church. This is the system that I like to use. I like to have worship leaders with skinny jeans. Uh, If they don't have skinny jeans, less anointing. Uh, He's not giving... He's not saying, by the way, no lattes, only double-shot cappuccinos. That's the best way to get the flow of the Spirit. He's not doing that. He's not even saying, hey, you know, this is how you host a meeting. Or he's not teaching them anything to do with that. Guess what he's teaching them about? The kingdom of God. Why? Because that is the mandate of every believer. It is the mandate of the church on the earth. The kingdom of God being introduced, being announced, and being established on the earth. You see, here's the beautiful thing. God's already moving on the earth. His Holy Spirit is beginning to draw people, and he's looking for harvesters. He's looking for vessels, sons and daughters that have yielded to Jesus Christ to bring in the harvest that he has already sown or sowed. Sown, thank you. Um, and so, so this is what's so, so beautiful is Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom, Right? And then in verse 5, it says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. So when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, And you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Beautiful little picture here. Jesus is explaining, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you everything that you need to do what I've called you to do. Their first response is a knowledge response. We want to know, tell us the secrets. Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? You know, I want to know the whole thing. Give me the information and the knowledge about what you're doing. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know that. Sorry, so he doesn't want you to know it all. But guess what he wants you to do? He says, you'll receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what? To be my witnesses. Isn't it incredible that Jesus is not so concerned with you having the information and the knowledge about how he's going to do it, what he's going to do. He's just not concerned about that. What he's concerned about is you being filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be witnesses Andrew Murray says something incredible. He says, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be missional. Yo, that's huge. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be missional. In other words, what he's saying is if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be a missional person. Now, he didn't say you can't have the Holy Spirit. He said you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be missional. When you are filled, baptized by the dunamis power, the fire of the Holy Spirit, when he possesses everything that you are, you cannot help but be a missional person, right? And so let's jump to Mark 16. How am I doing? Mark 16 from verse 14. I'm just going to read for the sake of time as you guys are catching up. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he called them to account for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Sure. When I read that this morning, I really felt like for some of us, that's, he does that first. He's calling you to account for your unbelief and your hardness of heart. Where are you positioned? Where is your heart postured before the Lord? Because if you find that you're, you're in a place of unbelief and hardness of heart, what you need to do, Isaiah 6, go listen to Christ's preach, what you need to do is go back, let him change your perspective, have an encounter with Jesus, seek the face of God, see him for who he is. When you do that, he will change your position. Suddenly you're touched by the life of Jesus. You have to, but this is faith. You believe this. I've been touched by the life of Jesus. Now I've been brought into agreement, reconciliation with God because of that. Lord, what are you saying? The voice of God speaks to me, commissions me. Now I can be obedient and do what you've called me to do. So some of you need to check that space in your heart. Are you an unbelief or are you in hardness of heart? There's an answer to this. There's a way out of depression. There's a way out of frustration, disappointment, hurt, anger. There's a way out. His name is Jesus. You just need to start by seeing him, Okay. So he called them to account for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I know this is so simple, but it's like, why are we not doing it then? (laughs) You know, um, Francis Chan has this beautiful analogy. He says, you know the game Simon Says? And if I say Simon Says, pat your head, Everybody pats their head. Nobody knows why, but Simon said it, so we all just pat our head, right? He says, but it's amazing that Jesus, we're supposed to be doing something so similar with Jesus. Jesus says, do this, and we do it, but now we don't understand the game. So now we go, Jesus says, go and make disciples, and we say, hey, let's memorize that Jesus said, go and make disciples. (laughs) So it's like, for example, it's like like my dad coming to me and saying uh, when I was younger, uh, Connor, go clean your room. And I walk off and I go, okay, you said, Connor, go clean your room. Connor, go clean. Hey, Dad, guess what? I've memorized what you said to me. You said, Connor, go clean your room. (laughs) This is how we lived before Jesus. It's a a funny, silly analogy, but how? I mean, when he said it, I just thought, man, that is so true. We understand Simon says, you know, pat your head because Simon told you to do it. But actually, Jesus is saying, go make disciples. And now what we do is we gather together in a room and we memorize it and we sing songs about it. But nobody's doing it. So Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. He doesn't say, I want you to get together, have these powerful services. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Then he makes it fun. (laughs) He says, he who has believed in me and is baptized will be saved. He who has not believed will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will get well. He's like, you know what? I want you to go and preach the gospel. But guess what? I'm going to make it so fun and so awesome for you because you're going to see things that you were never never able to to do. It was never possible. Now all of a sudden it's possible. Why? Because you're in the life of Jesus and you're being obedient. So here's the thing. Are you longing for a life of the supernatural? Are you hungry to see the power of God in your life? Are you desperate to see healing, signs, wonders, miracles? Guess where it starts? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. That's what he's saying to the church. It's so simple. We keep going round and round the same mountain looking for new ways to do things, looking for the next fresh way to engage people and get them to come to our attractional services. And God's saying, the reason you get together is for one thing and one thing alone, to bless my heart, to minister to me. And then in the middle of that, it's so incredible that while you're blessing God's heart, he gives you these gifts, fivefold gifts that equip you for the work of the kingdom, for the work of the ministry of reconciliation on the earth. So you come here to bless God, to be equipped and stirred, and to go out there and to preach the gospel and to see signs, wonders, miracles follow you everywhere that you go. That's why Damien's sharing the testimony. You can be on the phone, telesales or whatever, on the phone to Discovery, and the next thing you're preaching the gospel to somebody and they're getting rocked by the love of God. And they phone you back when the line cuts so that they can hear more about what you're saying about Jesus. Yeah, and you actually want to answer the phone when they phone you back. (laughs) So I want to quickly just shift this. Have you got what I'm saying around being like Jesus, the the prototype of his life? Because that's important before I say the next thing. God's called us to live in the life and nature of Jesus, which makes us by design a missional people. A people of encounter, but a people that are missional in our mindset. We have been commissioned. We have been sent. In John 17, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So basically what he's saying is the commission I was given by the Father, I've given you the same one. Okay, just so you got that. Now, I want to talk about, so this is you. Every single one of you are going to be living this life. Amen? Put your hand up if you're going to live it. Great. So you're going to seek Jesus. You're going to say yes to the commission, and you're going to do what Jesus did. Right. Now, let's talk about how we as a community together become missional. It's so simple. You get givers and goers. Guess what? You're both of them. So you get givers and goers, and all of us are givers and goers. So there's going to be seasons in your life when you're a goer. There'll be seasons in your life when you're a giver. There'll be seasons in your life where you're a giver and a goer at the same time. But it's this simple. To be missional is to be completely of the mission and mandate of the kingdom of God on the earth, which means everything that I do, including my business, is orientated around one thing, to advance, to establish, to announce, to introduce the kingdom of God on the earth. I want to be a part of everything. That God's doing on the earth. What is he doing? He's introducing lost sons and daughters, unbelievers to himself. Okay, so let's go to Titus 3. This is a strange scripture, but it's going to be awesome. Go to the end of Titus 3, chapter 3, verse 13. This is Paul, right? He's writing this letter to Titus who he left in in Crete to uh, appoint elders to establish the church there. And then at the end here, he's just kind of wrapping this letter up. And then in in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, Do your best to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they are supplied and lack nothing. Our people must learn to do good deeds to meet necessary demands, whatever the occasion may require, so that they will not be unproductive. Wowzers, I read this the other day and it smacked me in the face because here's Paul writing to Titus saying, hey, I have an expectation on the church in Crete. I have an expectation that they send off these goers, people that are being commissioned by God to go into a specific region, that you send them off well, that they are supplied and that they lack nothing. And he says, do this because people must learn to do good deeds to meet the necessary demands so that they will not be unproductive. Paul is saying we cannot allow communities of believers to become unproductive in the work of the kingdom. We become unproductive when we become inward focused and even our own finances and our money and and our time, it all becomes about us and my family and what I'm trying to build and this little personal thing. And it's not that God doesn't care about that, but it's this beautiful picture that actually when you are about the things of God, He provides for you. So, in light of that, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 6, now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously that blessings may come to others will also reap generously and be blessed, principles of the kingdom. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. This is not some money-making scam or scheme where we're trying to, you know, milk you of your money. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about a group of people that have the same purpose, the same mandate, the same mission, okay? So he says, don't give uh, grudgingly or under compulsion. Rather, don't give if you feel this compulsion heavyweight thing, right? But he says, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you. Ah, finally, there's our prosperity scripture. Yay, abundance. God wants abundance on your life. Let me tell you why. Let's carry on reading. Come in abundance to you so that you may always be under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything. Wow, this is getting exciting. We have complete sufficiency in everything. Being completely self-sufficient in Christ. And then here we go. Here it comes. And have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. Oh, sorry, prosperity people. God wants you to be prosperous for a purpose, not just prosperous. If God's going to cause your life to prosper, it's for the kingdom of God. Because let me tell you this, when you stand before Jesus, you're not going to have your money. You're not going to have your houses. You're not going to have your cars. You're not going to have your business. You're not even going to have your private education and your degree. What you are going to have is what did you do with the gospel to establish the kingdom of God? Did you receive the love of Jesus and give your life to making sure that the whole earth knows this love? So now everything that you have is channeled into the same thing. And what's so beautiful is that when you do this, God keeps pouring out the abundance. So you and your family get looked after. But guess what? It's this beautiful river that is flowing into the kingdom. And now we are equipping and enabling people to get out there, to preach the gospel, to reach the nations. And here's the thing, don't put yourself in the box of giver or in the box of goer. Because then what you've got is you've got goers with no faith for God's provision. And then you've got givers who are, all they know to do is give, but never actually see an expression of the gospel lived in their lives. So actually every day the question is, God, what are you calling me to do? To go or to give or to do both? What have you put in my hand? What are you wanting to flow from my life right now? Why? Because I'm about your kingdom. I know why I'm here. I know why I'm alive. Verse 10, now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing. And the Amplified says that is your resources and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which shows itself in active goodness, kindness, and love. You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous. You've got to read the Bible, guys. And this generosity administered through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many expressions of thanksgiving to God. Whoa. Whoa. What you're sowing is not only just taking care of the needs of the saints. It's causing thanksgiving, expressions of thanksgiving to God to come up all over the place. Why? Because the gospel is being preached. People are getting saved. People are being transformed by the gospel. We're reaching unreached people groups. We're commissioning and sending people into the high places of business and the, the intellectuals and the wherever it is, you know, if somebody comes in and they're an intellectual and God's called them to go into university and get the crazy degree so they can reach people in this sphere of influence that requires that, then we as the church should be doing everything we can to make sure they get there. If somebody comes and says God's called me to the far corners of the end of Russia or something, other side of the world, to preach the gospel, we as the believers we come together and we make sure that they are supplied and lack nothing. that they can go and achieve and do what God's called them to do. Why? Because we're a, a command center for war. We're a resource center for the kingdom. We are a vibrant, dynamic, powerful group of people that are about the kingdom of God. Everything in my life flows into this one thing. Whew, I catch my breath. And then, should I go there? I love this. Let's just go there. It's the Bible, 3 John, third letter of John. Learn to love your Bibles. Man, you read this and it's like, I started highlighting my Bible. I never used to be a, a highlighter person. Now I have, but the problem is I want to highlight everything. So now I'm just like, actually, where do I stop? I just keep running my highlight. Actually, I've just become a full-time color in person. I was coloring in my, my Bible. Okay, third letter of John from verse three. There's only one chapter in case you guys were scrolling through the pages. Um, Verse three, for I was greatly pleased when some of the brothers came from time to time and testified to your faithfulness to the truth of the gospel message. Sorry, I just want to tell you who's writing this. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved, who calls himself beloved, this man who, when you study his life, um, they just couldn't kill him, but he went through a lot. uh he was isolated and, and left on an island um, where he had this encounter where we get the book of Revelation. He was boiled in hot boiling oil. Um, the historians actually write that he was so, when he was old, he was so his body was so broken that they used to carry him on a stretcher to the front of the church in Ephesus and he would teach the gospel lying down on a stretcher. So when I hear... Um, him write these letters. I'm picturing a man who knows the cost of the kingdom and listen to what he writes. He knows what it costs, okay? He says, for I was greatly pleased when some of the brothers came from time to time and testified to your faithfulness to the truth of the gospel message. That is how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my spiritual children are living their lives in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in what you are providing for the brothers, especially when they are strangers and they have testified before the church of your love and friendship. You will do well to assist them and send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Pause. You will do well to assist them in a manner worthy of God. Do you see the excellence that he's called us to as a family? That as brothers and sisters, when we know that we're about the same thing, there is a level of excellence in how we give, in how we go, and how we support and love one another in who we are and what we're about as a community. Okay? For these traveling missionaries went out for the sake of the name of Christ, accepting nothing in the way of assistance from the Gentiles. So we ought to support such people, welcoming them as guests and providing for them, so that they may be fellow workers for the truth. That is for the gospel message of salvation. This is so beautiful. Do you know why I get excited about stuff like this? Maybe you guys look at me and think, what a loon. But I am a loon for the gospel. And I'll tell you why. Because I read this and this is real people. This happened. This is lives lived. And what's so beautiful is that right now, across the earth, lives like this are being lived. There are people that we don't even know about that are living this out, man, that this is, this is the gospel. And my, my encouragement to you is I know that you live in a Western style. We live in a third world country, but in a Western style um, in, in Johannesburg. And, uh, and it's hard because there's so many options. So you are given the ability to choose many, many things. A lot of people in the Middle East and in China and in different persecuted places, they don't really have that option. They've given their life to Jesus, which has isolated them from everything else, which means they've got one thing and one thing alone. I'm not saying it makes it easier for them. You haven't faced death for what you believe. I'm not saying it's easier. But What I am saying is we as believers need to rise up in faith, need to rise up and understand that the life of Jesus, what he's called us to live, it's going to look very, very abstract in Joburg. Because it's the total opposite of everything that an unbeliever is giving their life for. So the unbeliever is if you have extra money, you need to be saving that, putting it aside, investing it, whatever, doing all these different things. The Christian is saying, I'm taking none of this with me when I go to heaven. So actually, if I've got extra, I'm sowing it into the kingdom. I'm sowing into the kingdom because guess what? Where my, where my, what's the scripture, where my heart is? Where my treasure is, there my heart is also. So I'm going, wow, what do I treasure? What is the most valuable thing to me in my life? That's enough scriptures. And so I get excited because the potential and the possibilities that God has placed in front of us as a community are just so endless in the reach and the impact that we as a community can have. Um, I feel like we, we need to get to know the dream, the kingdom dreams that God's put on our hearts. We need to get to know that in each other because then you can together begin to sow into those things. You know, we were talking about it this last Wednesday at, at House um, Sometimes people have this perspective that a kingdom dream or a call of God on my life, you know, it either looks like you're going to Timbuktu or you're going to be a pastor of a church or, you know, I've called you to sell everything and become a hobo on the street and, you know, whack people's windows at the uh, robots and tell them about Jesus. You know, sometimes we have these crazy things. But actually, like, I, I use this funny example. I said it on, on Wednesday. Somebody designed a toilet. Like somebody, God, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Praise him. Let's take a moment to just let that sink in. But praise the Lord that God gives people these revolutionary ideas that change the way we do stuff, that changes things in society, that shapes our city and how we live. There's a a beautiful story about a guy, I think he was working with uh, the Bill Gates Foundation or something, and they were doing... Their whole mandate was to um, get clean water for a whole bunch of countries and whatever. But actually, they found out the problem wasn't clean water. It was sewage. And all right, you know the story. It was sewage, right? Um, and I love this story because it's like suddenly the Lord gives them the strategy to solve the sewage problem. And one of the members on the team is this Christian who now uses this vehicle of getting rid of sewage and getting clean water as a way to bring the gospel into a community. Right? But now hear me. The emphasis is not on getting rid of sewage. The emphasis is on preaching the gospel. So the purpose is I want to preach the gospel into a region. God, give me the door in. And then the Lord gives you the idea or gives you the strategy and you begin to go in. Not just so that you can tag on a little message of the gospel to what you're doing, but it's a kingdom idea. It's a kingdom dream that's going to open doorways for the gospel to be preached and proclaimed. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a shift here. And so sometimes we need to get, to get to know each other because in this church, I've had conversations with people that are dreaming about nations, that are dreaming about spheres of influence, their spheres, that are dreaming about uh, business, that are all these different things that the Lord's put on their heart that are, that are kingdom dreams so long as they come into alignment with the life of Jesus Christ. Because the, the caution and the danger is there are a lot of people that are proclaiming kingdom dreams that are actually self-agendas that are coming against the mission and mandate of the church. Two seconds, I'm just gonna hit this vein. Last night, two communities, some of us from twenty four seven and some from real life church, got together in a room. We were meant to go into Hillbrow, it was raining, we couldn't get onto the rooftop. So we ended up in a lounge and we whipped out our guitars and we worshipped Jesus extravagantly. And we just loved him. And I was so moved because in the worship I felt Jesus come into the room and and he began to teach me out of John seventeen um, that we would be one as he is one. And he showed me how out of the oneness individually of communion with God is supposed to come a oneness corporately where we come together with two different local churches. Can, can not be, uh, we're not looking for, we're not looking to agree on everything. We, we're just looking to agree on one thing. One thing. We agree on one thing. I say this because God's bringing a unity in the local church expression also within multiple different churches around one thing the beauty and majesty of Jesus, okay? So here's my encouragement to you. Be careful if your kingdom dream is pulling you away from community and away from agreement together around the beauty and majesty of Jesus, it's not a kingdom dream. If, if the kingdom dreams in your heart are pulling you away from community, and I don't care how many legitimate reasons or excuses you have in your head, he said this, so-and-so said this, the point is this, Jesus died for a bride, Jesus died for a body that is one. If you are pulling away from it, I don't even care if you're right, you're wrong. Because what Jesus is looking for is unity that comes through the Holy Spirit around the presence of Jesus. Where you can put aside self-agendas and you can come into the life of Jesus, the life of the Lamb of God. And from that place, you watch, when you trust Holy Spirit, He begins to shift. He begins to teach and train and adjust. And even if you were right in what you were trying to do, but you come in and you allow the Holy Spirit to adjust your heart, to adjust the other person's heart or whatever it is, God begins to work. And that's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. I don't know why I had to say that, but I had to say that. The Lord is after oneness. It comes from oneness with Him in your personal life. But then it also comes through the longing to be one with each other. And that's why we need to know the kingdom dreams that is, that's in each other's hearts. And when we do, we can begin to support each other and we can begin to sow. Do you know that we've got, and I, I'm going to say this, I'm not going to give the names because I want you to go and actually ask around. We've got people in this church that have a vision and a heart to go to Korea. South Korea for the gospel. Turkey. Egypt. Zimbabwe, Botswana, Thailand, Eastern Cape. In this little room right here. And then I get excited because I say, now you think about a missional, dynamic, powerful community that are about one thing. Can you see the reach? Can you see the impact? Can you see what God's called us to do as a community? And it's not just the nations. I'm just using that because it's a big expression of going But it's in the small things like going into work tomorrow morning and changing your perspective around having to go there because this is what I do to get my salary. To actually knowing that as the Father sends me, so I send you. Jesus has sent you into a sphere of influence to love. He sent you there to proclaim and preach the gospel. To preach the gospel means to preach the gospel, to proclaim it, to share the gospel with others. So the Lord's released a word that's to edify, to equip, and to encourage you today. Would you lift your hands? Father, I pray that you would do what I can't do and bring to remembrance everything that you wanted to communicate today. I pray that it would excite us, that it would spur us on, that it would stir up our faith, that it would get us uh, impactful in, in our thinking, Lord, that we would think impact, we would think mission, we would think transformation. Lord, that our whole lives would be laid at your feet, that your feet are the highest place, And so we want to be there forever, surrendered, yielded with you, Lord. So I thank you for your love because the truth always comes in love. So I thank you that in your love today, as we receive your love, the truth will be planted deep in our hearts. And we just want to say yes as a community. We just want to say yes to you, what you've called us to individually and what you've called us to as a community. And I just speak the abundance of heaven Over every life, so that we can sow. I speak abundance over every single family here, over every single person, so that we can sow into our land, so that we can establish something here, so that we can sow into the brothers and sisters that are believing for nations, so that we can sow into education, so that we can sow uh, into uh, rescuing, rescuing uh, prostitutes and orphans and the ones that are stuck, Lord, that we would become so missional, so missional, Lord, carrying the kingdom of God, the light of God into every single dark place in our city, in our nation, in our continent, and to the ends of the earth. And so I just say thank you, thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you've done today. I release this word and I trust, Lord, that you breathe on this word that you, Holy Spirit, would take away anything that's not you, but what is you. Let it produce much fruit in this community. Father, I ask that you help us to be fruitful, productive in the kingdom, not to be stagnant, not to be inwardly focused, but to see with your eyes. So Lord, we gaze upon you. We change our perspective as we behold you and encounter you. Thank you that you've positioned us in Christ, agreement with Jesus so that we can partner with God. And thank you that you've commissioned us called us, set us apart, and you're saying this morning, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I.